Read the Future Conversations is providing this podcast for educational purposes only. Read the Future is a nonpartisan, not for profit. It neither takes any position on any political issue nor endorses any candidates, political parties, or public policy proposals. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by Read the Future. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by Read the Future employees are those of the employees and do not necessarily reflect the view of Read the Future or any of its officials. Welcome to season two, uh, episode two of Conversations. It's October 16, and our guest speaker today is Rondo Otolo. Am I saying that right? Otolo. Rondo Otolo. Uh, Randall is an expert in transportation planning and policy, um, a former senior fellow at the Kaito Institute, uh, the Toro Institute, and American Dream Coalition. Um, Randall, if you could please uh, introduce yourself, that might be a better um, way for the guests to know uh, your background and your expertise. Well, I've actually spent half my career working for the environmental movement. Uh, challenging big government projects that did harm to the environment. And I spent the the second half of my career working for free market groups, challenging big government projects that did harm to the environment that unfortunately were often supported by my former allies in the environmental movement. Somehow they had changed to decide that big government was the way to go to protect the environment and we needed big government projects mega projects that cost a lot of money and did a lot of environmental damage and somehow that was supposed to be good uh so uh i uh in any case my my career has had a single-minded focus on challenging big government projects well that's a very interesting um i think background that you uh that you have um you know working for environmental uh, movements uh supporting free market um ideas but let's let's jump into the conversation right um uh today we're gonna be discussing two topics uh public transportation as well as some of the policies that govern public transportation uh to to um, begin with some data and some facts uh phoenix arizona residents um spend approximately 16 percent of their average income um on trans on on transportation costs um, which rounds up to a total of twelve thousand um, dollars. You mentioned um, free the free market um, cars in the metro area um, are the most common mode of trans- transportation with fifteen percent average income in in um, Phoenix um, going into car cost. Um, so, what can you really add to those numbers um, in, in terms of public transportation um, and? as well as what we saw during the pandemic. Um, Can you add any comments to it? Well, on one hand, you're you're looking at the cost, but you also have to look at the benefits. Uh, Automobility gives people enormous freedom. It gives them an enormous range uh, uh, within which it can engage in various economic opportunities. Uh, The average resident of Phoenix can reach more than twice as many jobs in a 20-minute auto drive as in a 60-minute transit ride. Uh, They can reach uh, probably 16 times as many jobs in a 20-minute auto drive as a 20-minute transit ride. So uh, you have far 
far more economic opportunities. On the other hand, what's the alternative to driving? Public transit? Well, a colleague of mine once calculated that in order to provide the same mobility with public transit that we already get from automobiles, it would cost more than 100% of the incomes of all the people in an urban area such as Phoenix. So uh, it, it sounds like a, a large number when you say 15 or 16% of the incomes of people in Phoenix are going to uh, transportation. Most of that's for automobile transportation. But if we were going to spend that money or any amount of money on uh on public transit, we would have a choice between a severe curtailment in our mobility or spending more money than we have available to keep public transit, uh, have public transit provide the mobility that we get from automobiles. That's that, that, that's a very interesting thing, um, um, break, breakdown of, of those num numbers. And, and now focusing on the pandemic, right? During the pandemic, we saw a, a drastic shift in, um, in, in transportation. So I want to get to hear from you. Um, what, what are some transport transportation um, policies or do you believe local organizations here in the Valley, such as Metro Valley, um, should alter in response to the pandemic? Well, first, it's important to understand what the changes that were brought about by the pandemic. And of course, the biggest one is the increase in the number of people working at home. Now, you think if the number of people working at home went from 5% to 20%, that we'd see a, an equal decline in people driving to work or people taking transit to work. But we don't. What we saw was about a 10% decline in people driving to work. And we saw uh, a 40% decline in people taking transit to work. So people working at home takes a bigger bite out of transit than it does out of driving. The other interesting thing is that people who work at home end up driving more miles per day than people who drive to work. That's because since they're at home, nobody's monitoring them, they'll decide to run an errand, they'll go out, they'll get a cup of coffee, they'll go out, they'll meet somebody, they'll go out and do a little shopping and then they'll come back home and do some work. Whereas when they're trapped in an office or another workplace, they don't have the opportunities to drive, so they don't drive as much. So we're seeing driving has already recovered to pre-pandemic levels. And in many places, it's greatly exceeding already pre-pandemic levels. Transit, on the other hand, is about 60% of pre-pandemic levels. And it seems to be leveling off right around 60% and is not getting a lot higher. So what that tells us is that spending a lot more money on transit is a big waste of money. We should be spending more money on making sure people have opportunities to get to where they need to go. And most of those people are going to be driving. And then we should say, well, what about the few people who don't have cars? Should we give them second or third class transportation in the form of public transit? Or should we help them buy automobiles? It turns out the biggest obstacle for a low-income person to buying an automobile is the interest charges. Because if you buy a used car and you don't have very good credit, the banks will charge you 20 to 25% interest on your car. So if we can help low-income people get some low-interest loans to buy a car, a used car, uh, and maybe encourage them to buy a fuel-efficient used car, 
we can help them achieve economic independence and become independent of a third-class transportation system, which is what public transit is. I mean, those are some very interesting um, um points of points there, right? That you are um sharing. Um, you mentioned um interest charges by banks and as well as uh helping uh low 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 income uh to find transportation means. Um, I might get getting this right. Your your argument is that subsidizing pump public transit is economically not feasible or so sustainable. However, um. Um, like how can free enterprise solutions become more affordable? But how do you see the economics of technology being um being the deciding fact fact factor? For example, we have uh, robot taxi deployment accelerated by free market enterprises. Um, for for example, we have Pony AI, we have Waymo. Um, we have crews and as well as Uber. Uh, contrary to public um, transit ex- expansions in Arizona, so um, what's what sort of um, um, viewpoints can you add to to really um, reducing the affordability of of vehicles, as well as um, talking more about the economics of robot taxis? All right. Well, first of all. Uh... Let's go back 100 years when most travel in cities was by urban transit, uh, although it was declining. And about 1924 or 1925, automobiles overtook urban transit. Now, at that time, urban transit was expected to uh, pay for itself. And cars were expected to pay for themselves. You bought a car. Nobody subsidized you buying a car. And almost uh, most states uh, 100 years ago were had either adopted or were adopting gasoline taxes so that auto drivers, when they bought gasoline, would pay a tax that would pay for their roads. So the roads were paying for themselves. And uh, the reason why cars were replacing transit in the 1920s was, first of all, they were far more convenient they were far, and they were far faster, but also they were less expensive. Urban transit was too expensive for many working class people to use. The the daily fare added up to a very high percentage of working class incomes. And so working class people had a choice of either not having much income left over or walking to work. And that's what a lot of them did in the 1920s or the 1910s. Then as automobiles became available, particularly Henry Ford's affordable Model T Fords, Uh, working class people could buy cars and provide themselves with far greater mobility at a lower cost than urban transit. Well, those things haven't changed today, except for now we're subsidizing the heck out of transit. But today, transit costs far more to move people than, than automobiles. Americans spend about 25 cents a mile traveling by car, and there are subsidies to highways, and I think we should get rid of those subsidies, but they only add up to about a penny a passenger mile uh, for auto travel. On the other hand, urban transit, Americans uh, fare, transit fares average about 30 cents a passenger mile, which is more than the cost of driving. And uh, the subsidies add, uh, added up before the pandemic to more than a dollar a passenger mile. Now that uh, the in the midst of the pandemic, it was more than $2 a passenger mile. So we've got gigantic subsidies to transit. And 
despite those subsidies, transit ridership is declining. Transit is not working. We have not been able to get people out of their cars and onto transit reliably. We're losing the battle. If, if you think we need to make war on the automobile, we've already fought that war and, and the automobile won or rather the people who decided to drive won. And it's time to stop saying, let's try to get people out of their cars and onto urban transit. It's time to accept the reality that auto driving makes more sense in urban transit and make sure that people can do that efficiently and safely. Now, as for uh, Uber and uh, Waymo and things like that, um, I'm not convinced that the economics of those things are going to be all that great because of a very simple relationship. If you have a car and you want to travel somewhere, a lot of the costs of owning a car are fixed. So to travel somewhere, you only have to pay the marginal cost, which is basically the cost of gasoline. And, you know, gasoline prices are high now, but they've been low between 2014 and 2021. They were pretty low. Uh, and so the marginal cost of driving was very low. It's a little bit higher today. However, oh. if you are a robo taxis company or if you are an Uber company or something like that, you can't charge people the marginal cost. You have to charge them the average cost. And for most people, that's going to be a lot more than the marginal cost. And so the robo-taxis and things like that, well, I think they can replace transit. They're not going to replace driving. We're not going to see an age where most people don't own their cars and they just call up robo-taxis when, when they want to go somewhere. Dude. Most to people add a little bit you don't own their cars. To um, add a little bit, guys, let's let's try to scale back a little bit to what you were talking about with subsidies. Um, it it appears that um the autonomous taxi industry, um number one competitor would probably be government subsidies to public transit. Um, what what do you feel the public should be more informed or um? When it comes to public transit subsidies, um, what information is the public missing um, in that area? Well, for the last 40 years, uh, transit agencies have made a concerted effort to get high-income people out of their cars and onto transit. And they've built expensive light rail lines and other expensive transit projects to do that. And they failed to get very many high-income people out of their cars. But by 2019, they succeeded in driving a lot of low-income people out of transit and onto car, into cars. And as a result, the median income of transit riders was significantly higher than the median income of uh, Americans as a whole, and much higher than the median income of people who drove to work. Uh, and so there were actually more people whose incomes were over $65,000 a year taking transit than people whose incomes were under $25,000 a year. So transit has been hugely subsidized, and most of those subsidies have been going to high-income people. And guess what? Where do the subsidies come from? Most of them come from regressive taxes like sales taxes and property taxes. And so 
low-income people, the 95% of low-income people who don't take transit to work, were disproportionately paying to subsidize transit rides that were disproportionately being taken by high-income people. Transit is the most regressive, uh, the most uh, socially inequitable uh, institution I can think of because we're taxing low-income people to give high-income people heavily discounted rides. That's, That's the kind of thing people need to understand when they talk about transit and getting people out of their cars and on a transit. Very, very fascinating um, 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 point of view there, right? Um, High-income um, people receive the majority of the subsidies being taxed from low-income people. That, that's a very interesting take. And and shifting gears here from public transportation infrastructure and going more towards the policy realm, right? Uh, as you mentioned, the cost of supporting um, urban transit industry um, is rising. Um, the right... Sh- the the ride ship is declining but let's let's focus on one particular policy the infrastructure investment um and jobs act and how local government policies um waste transportation dollars on transit um uh, on transit um um infrastructure um for for Example in 2018, um, subsidies to transit grew by 7.4 percent, um, increasing from 50.5 billion to 54.3 billion dollars. Um, yet, yet the much greater increase um, uh, to keep transit moving in many urban areas, such as uh, Metro Valley, um, such as Phoenix, Arizona. Um, um, recent. Department of Transportation report indicated that uh, the transit industry has 100 billion in maintenance backlog, um, mostly from its rail lines, as you have commented, and and the expenditures will have to increase by at least an, another six build six billion a year to fix this backlog within 20 years. Um, what can you really add to to um to the policy um view viewpoints of 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 transit cost. Well, one of the interesting things is that if we stop spending money building new rail transit, that would free up most of the money that was needed to recover the backlog in mismanaged and poorly maintained transit systems. But uh, politicians don't want to pay for maintenance and repairs. They want to pay for glitzy new projects so they can have their pictures taken, digging the first shovel, you know, turning the first spade of dirt on the project, and then cutting the ribbon when the project is done. And so, predictably, the infrastructure bill was supposed to be in response to supposedly crumbling infrastructure, and yet most of the money in the bill, or a very large percentage, went for new infrastructure projects, not for repairs of existing projects. And so we're going to see more money being wasted on new projects that people aren't going to use and that are heavily subsidized. And the existing projects, if you look at places like Washington, D.C. and Boston and New York, where transit is falling apart, Uh, Boston is having serious, serious problems. They've had to shut down a couple of transit lines for repairs, completely shut them down for months. And now that they recently reopened one and transit riders are shocked to discover that the trains are going slower than they were before. 
You know, it was already bad enough that they had all kinds of delays because of repair problems, and now they're going slower than they were before. So uh, we, have, as a society, have decided that we want glitzy new projects and not to repair the old ones, and that's a very bad decision. And that's one reason why we need to get away with paying for transportation out of political dollars and pay for it instead out of user fees. Because the best maintained transportation in the country are things like toll roads and toll bridges, which are paid for out of user fees. And they have the least uh, level of so-called crumbling infrastructure of any transportation in the country. Uh, you mentioned very key key points there, right? Shifting away from political dollars to user fees to really pay for transportation. That sounds like a very um, um, a, a sustainable way of really providing the amount of transportation that um, the demand um, uh, uh, there's, there's, there's demand for and shifting gears again to urban development planning, right? Where, where, um, in a situation where political dollars were were to be um, um, removed from 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 public transit uh, um, and the use of pub- public fees, um, the, the spending on replacing on replacement grew by one billion, while the spending on capital improvements grew by zero point five billion. Um, for for example, Valley Metro Transit Agency claims that its light rail line has stimulated 11 billion worth of new development. Um, but a careful review by a list of development um stimulated that by the rail line revealed that at least a third received government subsidies and most of the rest were government buildings. Uh, I want to really get get your viewpoint on. On really the growing irrelevancy, the growing irrelevance post-pandemic, um, as well as um, the the falling of of rightship. Um, what what sort of developments do you believe that could really take to to counter those numbers? <laughs> well, I like to say that light rail should be renamed lie rail because just about everything its proponents say about it is a lie. And one of the big lies is that light rail stimulates economic development. And Valley Metro is terribly guilty of that lie. Uh, When there was an election a few years ago uh, to extend, expand funding for light rail, they published this list of projects that they claim had been stimulated by the first light rail line between Phoenix and Tempe. And I went over the list project by project, and guess what? Many of them had never been built. They were proposed and never built. Uh, Others obviously had nothing at all to do with the light rail line, like car dealerships, gas stations, and things like that. And the rest of them, almost all of them were subsidized. So uh, they were taking credit for things that made no sense, that had no relationship to the light rail at all. And, you know, they published an updated list, and I went through that list and showed, as you said, that most of the projects were either government subsidized or uh, government buildings themselves. So the if you want to stimulate economic development with transportation, what you have to do is stimulate mobility. And you get more mobility when you provide transportation that is faster, cheaper, and more convenient than the transportation you had. 
light rail is slower, less ex more expensive and less convenient than other transportation. So it's absolutely the wrong way to go. Um, highways, on the other hand, enable people to get to more destinations faster and less time uh, and more conveniently. Uh, we have four million miles of roads in this country. Uh, there's you know thousands of miles of streets and roads in the Phoenix metropolitan area. So you can get to just about anywhere you need to go in a car. You can't do that by transit. So we need to give people the mobility that we have and not pretend that urban transit provides some kind of substitute for the automobile because it doesn't. And that, those are all very valuable points that I believe that the audience can really take back and and learn some more about um, to really know more as to where the funding comes from for all these huge infrastructure projects um, here in Arizona uh, to really deliver um, transportation means, whether it's with bus transport or light light rail, even um, more economical and sustainable means such as cycling. Those are all really um, informations as well as that the audience uh, can can really learn more. and. And Randall, you are a man with multiple interests. Um, to to wrap up the conversation, right? Let's let's try to focus more on some some of your own personal accomplishments. Uh, you have you have written six books, including Reforming the Forest Service, uh, the Romance of the Rails, plus dozens of policy papers and numerous um articles and and op-eds about free market. Uh, just to kind of like um, learn some more, what's what's next for you, and What else are you working on? Well, I've actually written eight books that have been published. Two of them are online, uh, plus the six books you mentioned in print. Um, I Right now, I'm doing research on the history of transportation scams in the United States, uh, starting with uh, the first transcontinental railroad, which is a big scam and other railroads, but also wagon roads, uh, military roads that uh, supposedly were to provide the transportation that the army needed to reach different parts of the country. And, and those turned out to be big scams as well. And whether I'll publish that in a print book or publish it online, I don't know yet. But uh, we have a long history of transportation scams. Uh, I'm also an active cyclist, and you mentioned bicycling. I've called urban transit uh, third-class transportation. The University of Minnesota has something called the Accessibility Observatory, and they measure how many jobs a person can reach in urban areas like Phoenix by car, by transit, and by bicycle. And guess what? The average person who's capable of riding, you know, moderate moderately well on a bicycle can reach more jobs on a bicycle than they can by urban transit. And so transit is third class transportation. Bicycling is second class as far as being able to reach a lot of jobs and other economic opportunities in a short amount of time. And automobiles are first class. Now, personally, I prefer to bicycle and I've never driven to work. I've always either bicycled or taken transit to work. But uh, uh, I realized not everybody can set up their lives as well as I can. And so most people end up driving because that makes a lot of sense for them. Those are the kinds of things I'm thinking about. Those are the kinds of things I'm working on. I'm hoping to be able to uh, turn the debate around 
from let's get people out of their cars to let's make cars more efficient, more fuel efficient, uh, less expensive uh, and cleaner and safer than ever before. That's the way we're going to solve our transportation problems, not by getting a handful of people out of their cars at the cost of billions of dollars. And those are all very valuable um, 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 things that I can really uh comment on myself for example i'm also an active cyclist um i i i my son my saturday mornings are spent going up climbing um but the descent as as you know is always the best part um after that the uh the strenuous up climb you have to really accelerate downhill and which is always fun well you're not as old as i am uh, when you get to be as old as I am, it's the ascent that's fun because it's a challenge and it gives you a workout, whereas the descent gets to be kind of scary because your bones are a little bit more fragile than they were and you don't want to crash. <laughs> so I, I prefer going up. If I have a choice between going up and going or going down, I'll take the up. I and, would. Uh, I would I'm inviting you. I'm inviting, inviting you to come out to Arizona. We can go to um, Mount Lemon in in Tucson and and or we can do South South Mountain and see see for ourselves um 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 which 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 one brings brings the most amount of calories burned um but 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 you mentioned a few things that are also highly important which is um efficiency in automobility trans, trans transportation uh which is definitely um a valuable subject matter that we can discuss for another episode um but Rando, please um i'm share with the audience you you have you have developed delivered valuable insights um, when it comes to urban planning as um when it comes to policies that that deliver significant sub, sub subsidies to public transit as well as um public trans transportation contrary to the emerging um autonomous taxi industry and please share with the um, audience how they can get in contact with you um uh in, for purposes such as um, guest speaker or to really um, add more comments to what you just shared? Well, I have a website called The Anti-Planner. It's ti.org slash anti-planner. And you can read things that I've written lately. Uh, my email address is rot at ti.org. And I wel welcome questions. I get them all the time. Right now, high-speed rail is a major debate topic for high school debate students. And I've been helping a lot of them win their debates if they they get lucky enough to be chosen on the negative side. If they're on the positive side, I can't do them much help. And Randall, thank you so much for uh, adding a valuable perspective. Um, I think we can find somebody to get to 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 to, to provide a strong rebuttal to your comments. Um, as you said, you are um a strong supporter for debate. So um, stay stay tuned. Continue to listen. Uh, we will find someone that can deliver a um a rather um I would call it stay stay tuned. Thank you, Randall. All right. Thank you. Read the Future Conversations is providing this podcast for educational purposes only. Read the Future is a nonpartisan, not-for-profit. It neither takes any position on any political issue nor endorses any candidates, political parties, or public policy proposals. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by Read the Future. 
The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by Read the Future employees are those of the employees and do not necessarily reflect the view of Read the Future or any of its officials.